welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast Week 16 Game by Game Review Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz. Happy Monday. Merry late Christmas. We got New Year's coming up. Most importantly, we got those fantasy football championships that I'm hoping that you are firmly in if you are listening to this right now. So I hope you guys, again, had a great holiday season. A little bit different schedule, obviously, because of when the holidays decided to fall this year. But I am here riding solo with one cool thing to talk about from every single game that has happened so far in Week 16. Still got the Chargers and Colts on Monday night, so enjoy that one. But I will be going through all the action from an eventful Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday here right now on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. So with that, let's get after it, everyone. Going all the way back to last Thursday night where the Jaguars take down the Jets 19-3, to covering as two-and-a-half-point dogs. The undercashed, even though it was at lowly 36-and-a-half points. So Evan Ingram just continuing to do king shit here for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now the overall tight end five on the season. Last four weeks, PPR tight end four, tight end one, tight end six, and tight end four. I mean, at this point, through 16 weeks, 600 i'm sorry 68 receptions 723 yards and four touchdowns and the one thing that we always make fun of him with and you see it every single time he drops a ball giants fans immediately get into the twitter mentions and they go yep this is exactly what you guys are going to see we haven't seen that this year though i mean he actually has a lower meaning better drop rate than Travis Kelsey, TJ Hawkinson, Mark Andrews, Pat Fryer, Dallas Goddard, David Njoku, and plenty of other tight ends that we don't always associate with dropping the living shit out of the ball every time it is thrown their way. So Evan Ingram, maybe it's Doug Peterson being the true tight end whisperer that we were kind of mocking this past offseason. Whatever it is, fantastic 2022 campaign from Evan Ingram. On the Jets side of things, guys, we've now had three weeks of Zonovan Knight and Michael Carter together, firmly in this two RB backfield with Ty Johnson mostly out of the picture. But in this stretch now, weeks 14 through 16, snaps, Michael Carter leads the way 93 to 83 over Zonovan. Carries is going to Zonovan's side 36 to 11. Targets, though, still clearly with Michael Carter 11 to 3. So I know we haven't gotten this, you know, end of the season stretch run we were hoping for from Zonovan Knight. Just realized continues to be the early down grinder to Carter being more of the pass down back. Basically, kind of what we've seen in Kansas City with Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon. That said, obviously, the New York Jets offense, especially when Zach Wilson under center, shouldn't be confused for having that same upside that we see in Kansas City. Moving on to Saturday, we had the Saints take down the Browns 17 to 10 in that horrible weather game. The Saints covered as three and a half point dogs. The undercashed at 32 and a half. So Taysom Hill didn't completely kill us. Maybe didn't give us the three touchdown masterclass, the 30 carry game that we were hoping for in these weather conditions, but did go ahead and return that tight end eight finish on the week. So didn't disappoint. Probably didn't win you your matchup though in its own right on the season. Now the overall tight end 15 and Look, he's been really, really good as a pure rushing quarterback, and they don't use him specifically as a running back. They're always direct snaps, but whatever they do, it is working. 6.6 yards per carry on the season, guys. I mean, you look at 74 players with at least 50 carries. The only guys beating that are Justin Fields and Lamar Jackson. So, yeah, I understand. bit more of a pass threat coming from those guys than Taysom, but he's just been an awesome runner. And I mean, he gets yards after contact, too. Only guys averaging at least four yards after contact will carry the season Taysom Hill Justin Fields Rashad Penny Brees Hall out of that group make sure you remember just how damn good Brees Hall was before he got injured uh sorry guys didn't mean to pull down the vibes with that reminder on the other side of things so 
With Deshaun Watson and the Browns, we've talked about this on this podcast where since his first game against the Texans, he's played a lot better than the box score has indicated. And we saw that kind of rear its ugly head again during this one where, again, porous weather conditions. I don't want to be too hard on these receivers, but Amari Cooper probably should have had a 15-yard touch, excuse me, 12-yard touchdown in the back of the end zone, dropped it. Later in the game, Donovan Peoples-Jones and David Njoku back-to-back passes that hit them in the hands, couldn't come down with it, probably should have been 15-yard touchdown. So the Bengals game, we had a couple more instances of that. Watson has played better than the box score has indicated. Even then, though, guys, he hasn't been anything close to what that contract says he should be and what he honestly was earlier in his career before the suspension. So pick a stat, any stat, even trying to add that context, and you're not going to see anything close to a good quarterback. He is 38th among 44 qualified quarterbacks in PFF passing grade, dead ass last in passer rating, 43rd in yards per attempt, and 32nd adjusted completion rate. So look, adjusted completion rate compensates for drops, PFF passing grade. That's the exact exact type of stuff that PFF is trying to account for in order to beat stats like passer rating and yards per attempt. So the stats without context basically say Watson has been one of, if not the single worst quarterback in the league this year. The stats with context still say he's been anyone's idea of a bad quarterback. So, yep, first four games after a two-year layoff, he's rusty. What, what did you expect? Hey, it's just a matter of he sucked this year on the field, even adding in that context of the drops. Hopefully for the Browns' sake, you know, they can get him moving on and playing like the guy they signed him to be in 2023 and beyond. Bills took down the Bears in another horrific weather one here, 35 to 13, covering us eight and a half point favorites. The overcash, though, at 40 and a half. Josh Allen, just insane how efficient he can be as a fantasy quarterback, especially. Not trying to, you know, disparage the guy in real life. We all know how great Josh Allen is, but just from a fantasy side of things, I mean, the overall QB1 on the season. As I've said this stat roughly a thousand times here, but what's another one going to hurt? Threatening now to join Brett Favre and Steve Young as the only quarterbacks in NFL history with three straight seasons as the overall fantasy QB1. And this year in particular, 14 games as a top 12 fantasy quarterback. Mahomes has 13. Jalen Hurts has 12. Joe Burrow has 11. Trevor Lawrence with 10. The only other quarterbacks with double-digit QB1 finishes this year. On the Bears side of things, so Justin Fields... He's still not making the best decisions with the football. If you look at his turnover-worthy play rate, it's at 4.3%. That's the seventh highest mark in the NFL. We're going to talk a little more about that group later. But you do see, you know, Josh Allen in that kind of high turnover-worthy play group. And then you see a lot of quarterbacks that we generally just all believed objectively to be bad at football. So that said... And I understand turnovers are very important to the game. If there's anything as a passer you probably shouldn't be bad at is turning the ball over. But that said, he's been much more, I guess, average in these other passing statistics, which given the wide receivers he's been throwing to all season long is pretty impressive. So passer rating fields this year, 22nd among 44 qualified quarterbacks. Yards per attempt, he's 17th. Adjusted completion rate, 30th. Big time throw rate, 24th. PFF passing grade because of those turnovers, though, all the way down at 39th fifth lowest mark in the league so Justin Fields again we know how damn incredible the guy is as a rusher still has a fighting chance of breaking Lamar's single season record even half even after having that dud on the ground against the Bills it is good to see though even with this bad horrific group of pass catchers that we knew was bad before the season started and then we lose the number one option in Darno Mooney like do you expect things to get better it is good to see Outside of turnovers, that field has been able to give us at least something close to average passing efficiency. 
Chiefs took down the Seahawks 24 to 10 here, covering us 10 and a half point favorites. The under cash at 50 and a half. So looking at Mahomes, who for my money's worth should be the NFL's MVP for the 2022 regular season. 2018 still stands out as his best year in terms of most passing efficiency stats, but at least, guys, he is far more in line with the guy we saw from 2018 to 2020 as opposed to the quarterback who was leading an offense that took a slight step back in 2021. So similar uh, sentiment as what Aaron Rodgers said. I think this wasn't this offseason a couple years ago where he said, you know, his down years are still going to be career years for a lot of quarterbacks out there. So that is definitely also true for Patrick Mahomes. But again, the fact that you take away Tyreek Hill, arguably the best wide receiver in the NFL, I think he'd be on anyone's top five list. You take that away and Mahomes is still able to give us one of, again, just the best seasons that you'll see out of any quarterback basically over the past half decade of action. So fantastic stuff from Mahomes in this offense. Since 2018, now the Chiefs scoring ranks first, fifth, sixth, fourth, and second. Their total yard ranks first, sixth, first, third, and first. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. All right, on the Seahawks side of things, DK Metcalf also flirting with one of the better seasons of his career, despite having what was supposed to be a quarterback downgrade. So 1.96 yards per out run for Metcalf this season. That is right in line with what he's been able to achieve throughout his career. And credit to DK, you know, with these drops, we talk about it being a stat that, especially in fantasy, we shouldn't worry about. But obviously, catching the football consistently is a major part of any wide receiver's job. You could argue it's the most important part of their job. In 2019 to 2020, guys, I know Deontay Johnson's usually been the poster boy for this but Metcalf is right up there with him 18 total drops from 2019 to 2020 just seven total drops by Metcalf over these past two years though so great job by him 86 receptions are already a career high and great job by Gino feeding this freaking walking talking monster the football more than ever before already with 128 targets in just 15 games his career high mark is just at 129 that took him 16 and 17 games respectively Vikings took down the Giants 27 to 24. Giants did cover as four and a half point dogs. The overcashed at 48 and a half. My goodness, TJ Hawkinson. I don't know about you guys. I mean, we've seen plenty of Hawkinson. He had the amazing first game in the NFL. He had the boom earlier this season where he went for like a buck 78 and two touchdowns. Like, I knew the guy wasn't a top 10 pick by accident, but just seeing him light up the scoreboard the way he's doing as a member of the Vikings, it's it surprised me and impressed me. And maybe I'm just, you know, especially in awe because he sent my home fantasy freaking playoff team straight to hell this last Saturday. But that, that you know, fact and obvious personal bias aside, it's hard not to be impressed with everything he's done this year. Only Travis Kelsey has more receptions and receiving yards at the position. He has officially passed Mark Andrews as fantasy's tight end too. I mean, you look at the consistency since he got on the Vikings, truly only one dud. So with Vikings, I believe since week nine, uh, we've seen Hawkinson finish as the tight end five, seven, 11, six, 16, six, 22, and most recently the overall tight end one. So a little fun fact here on the season, Hawkinson and Irv Smith have combined for over a thousand receiving yards together. Uh, basically like, you know, that Kobe Bryant, Kwame Brown stat from a few years ago, but you could imagine on the Giants side of things, how about this, guys? Isaiah Hodgins, eight catches, 89 yards, and a touchdown. He now has 77.9 PPR points since signing with the Giants on November 2nd. Kenny Galladay has 98.2 PPR points since getting $72 million to sign with the sign with the Giants in 2021. So sorry to make this about Kenny Galladay, but it really is shocking to me just how far off this guy fell. I get it, an aging 
injured, contested catch artists. We've seen these types of receivers. Your Des Bryant's of the world. I say that as truly Des is my probably favorite football player ever, but they don't last as well. And we're seeing this again with Kenny Galladay. But just this isn't someone that has always sucked. Maybe you Gen Zers out there aren't old enough to remember. But guys, in 2019, even with only eight games at Matthew Stafford, Galladay went for 1,190 yards and 11 touchdowns, which was actually either the highest in the league or tied for the most receiving scores in the league that, that year. Last three years combined, though, just 910 receiving yards and two scores, both of which he managed to score with the Lions. Bengals took down the Patriots 22-18 to since he covered as three-point favorites. The under cashed at 41.5. So I remember going into this year, you could actually look at the games where Higgins and Chase had played together. And it didn't fully lean towards T. Higgins, but it definitely made it more of a 1A, 1B argument. And look, T. Higgins is incredible. We've seen more than enough evidence of that. But now having a 27-game sample size of healthy versions of Chase and Higgins together, we can see which one Burrow really prefers, and it shouldn't be too much of a surprise. In these 27 games, Jamar Chase 230 targets, T. Higgins just 200. Chase obviously leads the way in receptions, yards, and touchdowns, and he's been the more efficient receiver, 2.24 yards per route run compared to 2.09. I would just say credit to Joe Burrow for focusing his targets so much along his top two receivers because we have, again, Chase at 230, Higgins at 200. In those games, though, Tyler Boyd at 137 targets and Joe Mixon at 110, only other guys over 100. So maybe Trenton Irwin is going to start factoring into this. I mean, the guy's scrappy. He's a gym rat. He reminds me of a Patriots slot receiver. He kind of seems like a guy that is probably a coach's kid. First guy in, last guy out, hard hat, lunch pail. I can go on and on with this all day long. But in all seriousness, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, King State Kings, both have been awfully royal over the past two years on the Patriots side of things shout out to Marcus Jones guy I mean this rookie cornerback who's a turned returner turned freaking receiver just making plays all over the place um I believe it was Doug Kidd um yeah, I think it was Doug who actually said it. Awesome new uh, Patriots podcast by Doug, Doug, you know, former PFFer. I'm not going to air on my grievances on that again, but Doug has been, you know, truly one of my favorite guys to work with over these past few years. And again, just doing fantastic stuff now over at Pat's Chat Podcast. So at Doug Keyed, D, obviously you guys know Doug, uh, K-Y-E-D is how you spell that tricky last name. But Doug brought up the point that, only Ramondre Stevenson has more total touchdowns than Marcus Jones this season on the Patriots. So another fun stat from the ringers, Roger Sherman. Marcus Jones is the first player with a receiving touchdown, punt return touchdown, and pick six in the same season since 1947. And we're getting to one of these, you know, it's like, you get these crazy – okay, it's a little bit different, but I do crack up in basketball when you get these uh, you know, crazy stats going on. And then it's like, yeah, first guy to have all these assists, rebounds, and points in a game since Wilt Chamberlain. And by the way, he did it 30 times. So I don't think we have the Wilt Chamberlain of the NFL standing out there from 1947 the same way the NBA does. But either way, Marcus Jones, absolutely spectacular this season. Great Great season, again, overall for that third-round rookie. Would love to see him get more and more involved on the offense as his career progresses. 
Panthers took down the Lions 37 to 23. Carolina covered, obviously, as two and a half point dogs. The over cashed at 43 and a half. Guys, the Panthers ran for 320 yards against the Lions. Detroit had allowed 331 rushing yards combined in their previous four weeks of action. Just completely wild to see Deontay Foreman, Chuba Hubbard, and company have that much success on the ground. But also, shout out to DJ Moore here. We've now seen him with four games with Sam Darnold this season. He's gone for 103 yards in a touchdown, 73 yards in a touchdown, and 83 yards in a touchdown. Oh, yeah, there's a goose egg thrown in there. But come on, beggars can't be choosers. The fact that we've gotten truly now three booms and just one bust from DJ with Darnold under center, great to see. That said, this offense has been so run heavy. It's hard to be overly optimistic about DJ in this ever important week 17 because he's actually only averaging 5.5 targets per game with Darrell under center compared to 7.5 before. The difference has been he's making way more out of those targets, averaging 0.75 touchdowns per game with Darnold, only 0.3 without. So maybe he can keep it on, keep it on up the Panthers lovely schedule right now and they are going to be actually on the road against Tampa Bay uh, this Sunday so you'd at least like to think that the weather's not going to be overly bad but with DJ hey the fact that he now has boom in his you know potential range of outcomes certainly have come a long way since some of that atrocious uh, stretches that we've seen earlier on in the year. Shane Zilstra, Lions, three touchdowns. Did you guys not see this coming? Unfortunately, uh, such a such a tight end rotation heavy offense that guys, hot take here. I'm not going to be, you know, ranking Shane Zilstra overly high in the old week 17 ranks, but hey, three touchdowns. You got to give the guy a shout out for that. Just like um, Jesper Holstad for the Bears. We were hyping him up from that preseason performance for the ages, but for real, want to quickly note this RB usage since DeAndre Swift got back. And the main problem here is that we could probably live with this if it was only Swift and Jamal Williams, but Justin Jackson is involved, and he's not as involved as Swift or uh, Jamal Williams, but he's involved enough to make this really problematic for fantasy managers, um, pretty much all of them involved. So since week eight, that Swift got back into action. Jamal Williams has 227 snaps. Swift's at 218. Justin Jackson at 140, though. Carries is Jamal 132. Swift only 55. Jackson 33. Targets, Jamal only has six. Swift has 40. Justin Jackson has 13, though. So Swift in week 13, he finished as the overall RB5. Otherwise, hasn't finished higher than the RB18. And Jamal Williams now five straight games outside the position's top 24. So with Jackson, like Jamal has such a low chance now of getting involved in the passing game and unfortunately he's also taking away a lot of Swift's extra carries in the run game so I don't think it's like coaching malpractice you look at it and Jackson during these stretches has by and large been the more effective rusher and you could argue receiver not with every stat but just in terms of some of these you know rushing yards after contact yards per reception Justin Jackson has not been bad it's just annoying for fantasy managers when we got again three guys in this situation to deal with Ravens took down the Falcons 17 to 9. Baltimore covered as six and a half point favorites. The under cashed at 35 and a half points. So we've now gotten three games with J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards back in action, weeks 14 through 16. Snaps, Dobbins leads the way 72 to 53. But similar to what we just talked about, guys, there's enough of a third party going on to make this messy for both guys. So Dobbins 72 snaps, Gus Edwards 53. But then Justice Hill and Kenyon Drake have combined for 43 snaps in their own right. 
So the carries, luckily, we're not seeing that third back involved. It's Dobbins 40, Gus 31, Hill and Drake have combined for just two carries. But the targets, Hill and Drake have four of the six available targets to this backfield over the past three weeks. So with JK, he looks healthier. The offense, hopefully, if we get Lamar Jackson back in week 17 and beyond, we'll have more scoring opportunities. But really with Dobbins and to a slightly lesser extent, Gus, you're just hoping you can make the most out of 13 to 15 carries per game. With the Falcons, Tyler Algier officially leaping over Cordero Patterson. And, you know, it is it is what it is. Algier's been a fantastic rookie running back this season. And you pull up any rushing efficiency measure you want, and it's going to say that he has been the superior option to Cordero Patterson as much as it pains me to say that. But where I do get a little annoyed is that, you know, Cordero out there, as we know, more than capable of taking the defense's attention, all the places he can line up, wide receiver, the guy volunteered to play tight end. He wanted to play safety last year. This is a guy that you can use all over the offense. I don't see CPAT playing fewer snaps than Demir Bird, than Michael Pruitt, than Parker freaking Hesse as a way for the Falcons to win. And again, I gave Arthur Smith his, his flowers, as you might say, earlier in the year when we were looking at this offense, we were mad about the usage, but they were doing well. And that was true. Weeks one through eight, number four ranked offense in EPA per play, Tied for six in points per game. However, weeks nine through 16, 22nd in EPA per play and 28th in points per game. I understand Kyle Pitts got injured in week 10, and that did have something to do with it. Just not ideal for this offense, where, again, really seemed to be overperforming during the first half of the season, and we have seen that come to fruition down the stretch. Only final note now, we have seen four games without Kyle Pitts and Drake London has emerged as a much more viable wide receiver three, even wide receiver two options. So targets in those games for 12, 11 and nine, he's finished as the wide receiver 76. That was a dud, but then the wide receiver 20 wide receiver 26 and wide receiver 14. So God forbid we get an actual quarterback in Atlanta in 2023 and beyond could see a nice bounce back year two from Drake London. Texans took down the Titans 19 to 14. Houston covered as three and a half point dogs under cash at 34 and a half points. So I just wanted to check on this one. Basically, I go through every game. I look at the box scores, some of the usage stuff. And I just try to think like of one question that hopefully I can quantify for you guys and get some actionable takeaways. And for Houston, I just wanted to see where does Davis Mills actually stand out among the second year quarterbacks? Because last year, when you looked at it, Obviously, Mac Jones, with the way he played as a rookie, he was the by and far away most efficient passer from that group of quarterbacks. But Davis Mills, with a lot of these stats, you could argue was second. I was curious if maybe that was still the case this year. It is not. He is actually dead last in yards per attempt, fourth among the five available second-year quarterbacks in T-Law, Fields, Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, and Davis Mills, also fourth in passer rating. So basically, Davis Mills, you can say he's been better than Zach Wilson. Unfortunately, that's about it for him in his sophomore campaign. Derrick Henry. How about this, guys? Stayed healthy. What happens when Derrick Henry stays healthy? Well, he has 1,808 total yards and 13 touchdowns. Good for to be the PPR RB4 on the season. And I guess the best part with Henry this year has been the elevated role in the passing game. Again, you look at it, and I think he he was at one point PFF's lowest grade receiver, but then he had the highest yards per route run. So the drops look terrible. I mean, I'm sure someone can put together 90 seconds of just one atrocious drop after another from Henry, but God forbid 
he can exist in that one to two seconds of, you know, the snap happening, running his route, getting the ball in his hands. Look the hell out when you get this guy in open field. Credit to the Titans for managing to do that more than ever this year. Career high, 32 receptions. I mean, his previous career high was just 19, 379 receiving yards this year. Previous career high, just 206. So literally has a chance to double his previous career high marks and receptions and receiving yards. Great day to have Derrick Henry on the fantasy squad. 49ers took down the Commanders 37 to 20. San Fran covered a six and a half point faves over cashed easily at 37 and a half. Shout out George Kittle still operating as one of the game's single best tight ends. I believe Travis Kelsey on his awesome podcast with Jason Kelsey was even going out there calling Kittle the best of the group. Told Kittle to uh, pretty pretty hilariously stop blocking so well so they have to throw him the ball more often. So kudos to Travis for being a good sport about it as Jason immediately brought up. Obviously would have been easy and probably probably objectively true. I mean, you can bring up the stats, especially look at just in terms of pure receiving numbers for Travis to just say, yeah, I'm the best guy out there. Cool move by him. But anyway, back to Kittle this year, third in yards per reception, six in yards after the catch per reception, fourth in yards per outrun. Only Dallas Goddard and Travis Kelsey have graded out higher as a true receiver. So Dwayne McFarlane and myself, we said this, you know, throughout the summer, even last couple of years, one game against the aliens to save the planet. I want George Kittle as my tight end, all things considered. On the commander side of things, looks like we could be looking at a quarterback change. Heineke did get benched for a now healthy Carson Wentz in this one. And zooming back and out and looking at the season, Heineke is more of a risk taker. I guess you could say gunslinger than Wentz, at least in this version of the offense. I know we've seen different additions of Wentz over the years, but overall, Wentz has the higher PFF passing grade. He also has the higher big-time throw rate, slightly less yards per attempt, slightly better adjusted completion rate. That can usually be explained in this case by Heineke having the higher average target depth. The big problem, guys, has just been these turnover-worthy plays. Nobody has a higher turnover-worthy play rate than Taylor Heineke this season. So if you put Wentz back in, yes, it's not going to be fantastic for for Terry McLaurin because he's not going to get as many 50-50, some might call them hospital balls, you know, down the field where he just has to go up there, try to make a play and be great. That said, the offense does seem to move just a little bit more consistently uh, with Carson Wentz. So I get it. Wentz versus Heineke, it's Muhammad versus McLovin all over again. Why the hell is it between Wentz and Heineke? I have a hard time believing this will be the case in 2023 and beyond for my money's worth, though. I do think Wentz gives them the slightly higher floor and honestly, probably the higher ceiling as well. I think Carson Wentz is a better quarterback than Taylor Heineke. If you don't want to put either of them in your top 25, top 30 in the league, I will not have any problems with that. Cowboys took down the Eagles 40 at 34. Cowboys covered his four and a half point faves. The overcash with ease at 48. And shout out to Dak Prescott on this Cowboys offense. Number one scoring since he got back into action. Here are the Cowboys point totals since Dak returned in week seven. 24, 49, 28, 40, 28, 54, 27, 34, and 40 points. That's pretty good, guys. They're averaging 36 points per game with Dak under center. And he's not taking care of the ball, as we've all seen, with all these interceptions that everyone just wants to bring up first and foremost. So, yeah, the interceptions aren't ideal, but guess what? They're scoring a ton of points. That kind of is the quarterback's job first and foremost. Only the Chiefs have been a more efficient offense during the stretch in terms of EPA per play. And, again, they're not even firing on all cylinders. Throughout all this, Dak is averaging just 7.8 yards per attempt this year, which isn't bad by any stretch, but he was at 8.2 and 8.4 in 2019 and 2020 back 
when this offense had quite a few more weapons, I believe, to go around with the football. Talking, of course, about Amari Cooper in the mix. So, hey, they got T.Y. Hilton, fantastic catch down the sideline. We continue to hear the OBJ chatter maybe happening this offseason, but just can't help but wonder, man. This is the number one ranked scoring offense with Dak, and it was last year as well with Amari Cooper in there. But God, could you imagine them just having, instead of Noah Brown, instead of T.Y. Hilton, Amari freaking Cooper out there? Incredible without him. Kudos to Dak. Kudos to Kellen Moore and the whole Cowboys organization for keeping on, keeping on without the guy. Just can't help but think about that when, again, we're talking about just how high the ceiling truly could be for this passing game. With the Eagles, I think we did continue to see the instance and I believe fact at this point this is the best supporting cast in all football and that's not a slight at Jalen Hurts it's not a slight at Gardner Minshew we've seen both of those guys make more than enough plays to know just how good they are at football in their own right but I did my study again took away the PFF passing grades from the offenses and just averaged out the rushing receiving pass blocking and run blocking and once again the Eagles are at the top of the league rest of that top five so best supporting cast not including the passing grade we have the Falcons the Ravens the Browns and the 49ers so Falcons and Ravens, I know you guys are like, what the hell? How come they're popping up there? We've seen those wide receiver rooms, and I understand what you're saying. A lot of that is going to their dominance and their really high grades, pass blocking and run blocking, and their receivers like not grading out horrifically. They're just not being used the same. So on the top of the side, though, Eagles, I do think that makes sense. The bottom five offenses in terms of supporting cast, Texans, Cardinals, Chargers, Colts, and Jets. Steelers took down the Raiders 13 to 10, covering as two and a half point faves under cashed at 38. So the, the Deontay Johnson season is just ridiculous at this point. 130 targets without a touchdown. That is the most in the NFL. And it would easily shatter the all-time record for most targets in the season without a touchdown. So shout out to our friends over at Pro Football Reference for their awesome stat head, you know, just membership. I've been a subscriber for years. Love stat head, love pro football reference. But guys, this target stat only goes back to 1992 and the all-time record for most targets in a season without a receiving touchdown goes to Bears wide receiver Michael Timpson with just 109 so again Deontay already at 130 he's got two more weeks to try to find the end zone goodness man just it's it's wild how good this opportunity has been we always say you know we're trying to chase opportunity in fantasy land and I understand when we look at running backs and stuff it can be a lot less of a you know just hang your hat it can be a lot more of a hang your hat on the opportunity with running backs versus wide receivers but just with Deontay specifically guys 59.8 fantasy points overall below expectation. So basically what that means, if you just only looked at the opportunity, only the targets involved, Deontay, the wide receiver nine in expected fantasy points this season. What is he actually? The wide receiver 31. Sheesh. With the Raiders, Devontae Adams, kind of his third straight dud, but I don't know, guys. You still look at the numbers. 15 games, 88 catches, 1,290 yards, and 12 touchdowns. But the 55% catch rate this year is his lowest mark since 2015. So a little bit more of a downfield role in this offense. And, you know, hasn't quite been as dominant. 2.3 yards per out run. Last year was at 2.7 and 2.87. So we're being a bit nitpicky here. He's still awesome, but he hasn't been that clear-cut number one or number two best wide receiver in the league this year if you still want to put him up there i don't think that's necessarily incorrect but just i'm saying in terms of that yards per route run number that he was just dominating the rest of the field with this year he does find himself behind tyree kill jalen waddle justin jefferson aj brown amon ross st brown chris Olave, cd lamb stefan Diggs, and cooper cup 
pretty damn good wide receivers to only find yourself behind. I'm just saying Devontae Adams hasn't had that sort of year where, for my money's worth, coming into this year, the best wide receiver in the NFL. I do believe Tyreek Hill has taken that award at least for 2022. And Justin Jefferson's so damn good, too. I You could put him there as well. I do stick slightly with Tyreek, but man, Jefferson, again, if you want to say him, I'm not going to call you a liar. You could very well be right. Moving on to Sunday now, Packers took down the Dolphins, 26-20. to 20. Green Bay covered as three-and-a-half-point dogs. The under cashed at 49-and-a-half. Uh, the Aaron Jones usage, guys, this was a tough one, pretty tough to, uh, you know, put on the smiley face for the family with the Christmas presents and all that when Aaron Jones isn't getting on the freaking field. So eight touches, his lowest in a game since week one, 38% snaps, his lowest since week 13, which is when he actually got hurt and couldn't even finish the game in the first place. So he's just really banged up. It's just unfortunate that we have these situations where we just don't have a good lean on exactly how healthy the guy is because last week he was on the injury report with a knee limited all week didn't have an injury designation the week before limited all week no designation with an ankle injury before the bye shin and glute issues same thing he's practicing every day he doesn't have an injury designation he's just unfortunately playing through the pain we did see him on the sideline you know getting taped up very possible he reactivated something and they just never actually reported it to the doctors or whatever or officially reported it to get the probable or questionable to return stuff just unfortunate to see this happen you know in week 16 it's been such a good season for Jones otherwise on the Dolphins side of things, yeah, I mentioned before that turnover-worthy play rate. So here is basically, here are the only quarterbacks this year with a turnover-worthy play rate over 4%, going from worst to still bad, but, you know, not quite at the bottom of the leaderboard. Taylor Heineke, Zach Wilson, Jameis Winston, P.J. Walker, Cooper Cooper Rush, Josh Allen, Justin Fields, Matt Ryan, and Tua Tagovailoa. So with Tua this year, still number one in yards per stem. Per attempt, still number one in passer rating. But shout out to my former co-host, love the man Kevin Cole. Unexpected points uh, newsletter. Go freaking check it out, everyone. Tua, he's got that he's got that Alex Smith in him, guys. I'm not so sure at this point that you can put Tua into any offense in the NFL and he's going to turn them into an elite group. Now it's by most of these numbers again yards per attempt at its core. That's what you want the most yards per pass attempt possible. They're number one. Two is the one throwing that football. You can say some of the deep balls are underthrown. They're still number one. Same thing with passer rating. These are not quarterback-specific stats. They are part of it, but they do not tell the whole story. I understand that, but they're still good measures of the overall passing game. And Tua is a big, obviously a big part of the offense that's making that happen. It does come down to, and I see why that we have these conversations where Tua against guys like Justin Herbert, like Joe Burrow, like the guys that when you watch them, you know they're doing more out of structure, more, you know, just, I guess, having the higher ceiling for the offense, regardless of the teammates around him. Just been an interesting year for Tua. So, hey, my opinion on him has sure risen. I would think the Dolphins would be crazy not to try to continue to see what he can do more in the future, in his second year in the scheme, you know, another year removed from some of those bad injuries he had in the past, specifically the hip issue. Not saying that's still, you know, bothering him or anything, but just something to keep an eye on with Tua. If he can just chill out a little bit on these turnover worthy plays, certainly would be the next best step for the guy. Rams massacred the Broncos 51 to 14, covering as three point dogs over cash at 36. 
took Nathaniel Hackett down with him. He has been fired. Must have been that Patrick Starr call on the Russell Wilson um, interception that finally did it in. It's one thing to lose, one thing to get blown out. It's another thing to have Patrick freaking Starr mock your franchise quarterback, alleged franchise quarterback in front of the entire country on Christmas. So that was the last straw shameful season for Hackett and the Broncos. They bring back Adam Gase. That would be, look, look, I'm sorry, Broncos fans. That'd be terrible for you guys. But in terms of just the unintentional comedy or just maybe intentional comedy, the funniest hire I think they could make would be Adam Gase. Because remember, he was quote unquote awesome with Peyton Manning. And as we remember Peyton Manning, like what the point, what was the point of having an offensive coordinator? Peyton's going to change the play freaking 30 times before the snap. I remember as a kid playing that Madden superstar mode, being a running back, I got drafted on the Colts and I, you know, had to quit the game. I had to restart because I was so annoyed with Peyton changing the play 10 times before every snap. Shout out to that old version of Madden though, for being more realistic than they probably are today with it. All that to say, yeah. Not a really not a very good year for the Broncos, as I'm sure you guys could already tell. Uh, one good thing though has been Jerry Judy really coming on strong here. So he finished now, let's see, it's six, seven weeks ago. He had a nice little two-game stretch where he finishes as the PPR wide receiver 16, then the wide receiver 13. Next week he gets hurt, misses a game, a game or two, comes back, wide receiver 39, then the wide receiver one and wide receiver 22. So that's four finishes as the wide receiver 22 or better in his last five games, not, not impacted by injury. Before a season, I was not sure who was better between Judy and Sutton. Now I am confident in saying Judy is the ascending receiver and should be the feature number one or at a minimum higher rank than Sutton here down the stretch in Denver. Real quick with the Rams, shout out Cam Akers, uh, have a hard time believing he helped too many teams, uh, you know, win their week 16 matchup. I guess he was probably cut on in enough leagues just from being that original horrific six round pick that went wrong for so many people. So, hey, maybe you picked him up. You saw the usage moving the right way and you were able to benefit from that overall RB1 performance last week. Regardless, it has been a nice little stretch run for him now. 70% plus snaps in three of the last four games. And accordingly, guys, weeks 13 through 16, Akers has 78 total PPR points in weeks 1 through 12 combined. He had just 37.2. So, hey, Akers, someone that he was one of the few running backs I was willing to dabble with sometimes in those middle rounds, like when I was going true zero RB and I didn't even get an anchor in the first couple of rounds. I did have a few teams where I took Akers, usually in that round six, and then especially if he fell past that, thinking that he could get this role and just have that workhorse 70% plus snap role because McVay historically has been more willing to hand it out to just about anyone. But it was too close with Daryl Henderson, which was a mistake on my part, and also just whiffing, as I think a lot of people did, on how bad this Rams offense was in general. At least, again, maybe, just maybe, there is a stray best ball squad or something where Akers helped you out. Finally, guys, last game here took place on Sunday night. Buccaneers took down the Cardinals 19-16. to Cardinals covered a 7.5-point dogs under cash at 41.5. So Leonard Fournette revealed today on Twitter, you know, basically calling someone out, uh, you know, quit calling me slow. I'm playing through a Liz Frank injury. And, yeah, that's certainly some of it. We have no idea how, what kind of pain these guys are going through more weeks than not. And then when they do play through the pain, we basically throw our hands up and say, well, you're healthy enough to play. How come you're not playing better? So my only thing I would push back on and we brought this up throughout the year this isn't a Zeke Pollard it's not even a Montgomery Khalil Herbert situation in terms of the stats telling us how much better the backup is than the starter and in those two situations we've also talked about Montgomery and Zeke being damn good running backs in their own right just the backups have been a little bit more efficient but the whole like oh it's coaching malpractice how Rashad White isn't out there more for Leonard Fournette 
that's where I got to push back on because they've both been by by far and large. They've both been bad running backs this year inside of arguably the league's single worst rushing attack. So yeah, Rashad White is averaging more yards per carry. He's at 3.9 and Fournette's at 3.6. Identical yards after contact numbers. White's been slightly more shifty as a rusher, but Fournette's been a lot better as a receiver. 1.34 yards per outrun compared to 1.14 for Rashad White. So it's one of those things where, yeah, if you take away either of these guys, like we've seen, there's enough volume with Tom Brady so willing to check the ball down that either Fournette or White without the other locked in top 10 running back in full PPR scoring. As we've seen both guys produce this year when given that opportunity, but together, neither has been good enough to be more than, you know, a fairly consistent RB2 in full PPR scoring, which, hey, it's still working for Fournette out there. He still has a bigger role. And I'll continue to go with Fournette over Rashad White until the Buccaneers change anything with that. But once again, I don't think they're exactly looking at a situation where they need to take Fournette off the field. Because if anything, these stats don't tell the whole story. And as we heard Byron Leftwich tell us in the offseason and last year, just the fact that Brady is so comfortable having Fournette on the field makes sense to keep him out there as long as that foot isn't hurting him too bad. On the Cardinal side of things, man, Aaron Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, just some of these Christmas disappointments not making the day easy because, you know, when you got Trace McSorley out there, you got to run the offense through Greg Dortch, of course. So first major bust for Hopkins. We knew it was a downgrade situation. Same thing for Hollywood Brown. Just unfortunate to see it happen in such an important playoff game after Hopkins had really done a great job coming back from that suspension. So now we have exactly one constant in Arizona, and this is running back James Conner, guys. Since returning from the injury ppr rb19 rb2 rb15 rb4 rb6 and rb12 so disaster of a season in arizona we'll see how much longer you know the the k2 kingsbury uh kylo murray partnership keeps on going injuries haven't helped there's been a lot of factors to their demise just like any team out there but it is good to see james connor getting that workhorse role getting those fantasy points that we knew were going to be there for him if he managed to stay healthy and with that it's going to wrap up another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Freaking week 17 here on the uh, on the horizon, everyone. What a great day to be great. I do got some funky traveling this week, so the waiver pod might be up at a different time tomorrow. I know waivers aren't that big of a thing to even worry about going into week 17 for many of you, as always. But I will figure out a way how to get at least something up there. Of course, we'll get the sheeshes and some injury uh, notes otherwise. Uh, if not, yeah, I'll be back on Wednesday with another game-by-game preview uh, pod to get you guys ready to go for week 17. I'll be back with my guy Nick Botterford on Friday going over all the injuries and then week 18 and beyond going to have a slightly different schedule probably down to one or two pods per week uh, just for the next few weeks there as I get things figured out and we get through the real life playoffs so again guys can't thank you all enough for tuning in throughout the year you know I got a lot of the Spotify wrapped uh, you know tweet ads and you know just you guys putting in a lot of hours here and it really means a lot because again without you guys none of this would be possible I know we've had a you know cycling of co-host throughout you know my time here and that certainly hasn't been ideal but certainly you know something that not exactly uh you know in my control all the time so again thank you guys for being loyal thank you for sticking with uh with me and i just hope that the fantasy squads are continuing to look hot we'll continue to put in all the work i can to make that continued reality so thanks again for tuning in the pff fantasy football podcast i'm ian harditz until next time take care everybody